We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Hello. You're listening to Sorted Cinema. My name is Simon Howell. I'm joined, as always, by Ricky D. And this week, we have brought in resident Bond expert uh, and return guest Edgar Chaput to talk about uh, the latest in the 50-year uh, copyright entanglement known as James Bond. It's called No Time to Die. Uh, we're going to get into it in great detail. There will be a uh, we will be avoiding overt spoilers of the stuff that people obviously wouldn't want spoiled uh, for the first little while. Uh, and then at a certain point, we will start talking about that stuff. You will be warned. Uh, and this is your pre-warning. Uh, let's hear a clip. The past isn't dead. James, fate draws us back together. Your enemy is my enemy. His name is Safin. And what does he want? Revenge. Me. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. You can imagine why I've come back to play. There's a young lady in Santiago I want you to meet. You're late. When you're ready. Salute. I met you on new double O. She's a disarming young woman. I get why you shot him. Yeah, well, everyone tries at least once. James Bond. We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little tidier. Come on, Bond. Where the hell are you? Do you ever flown one of these? Nope. Harder to tell the good from bad, villains from heroes these days. What is it? You don't know what this is. He's going to kill millions. If we don't do this, there will be nothing left to save. 
welcome back. It's Sorted Cinema. Ricky, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring back the podcast a few years ago was so we can reconnect with old friends like Edgar, who used to actually co-host a podcast. This is true. Good afternoon, gentlemen, by the way. Hello. And hello to the listeners. It's nice to be speaking to you again as well. Edgar, we have you on this show for a very specific reason. You are our go-to James Bond expert. So <sighs> before Simon dives in, can you just quickly promote and plug your podcast? Well, that's very sweet of you, Ricky, to give me the microphone for that. Yes, I, I co-host a podcast called The James Bond Complex. Uh, we release weekly on Wednesday mornings. We have since the winter of 2018, so at the time of this recording, three years and a half and some change. And our, our motto is uh, the podcast where we discuss, rejoice, and analyze in the entire James Bond phenomenon from Fleming to the films and everything in between. So uh, the launching pad was, of course, the original Fleming books. We understandably discuss the films, but the everything in between gives us a lot of leeway. Uh, you know, has Daniel Craig played in other movies? Let's talk about another movie. Has a Bond director made another movie we like? Let's talk about it. Let's do a Jason Bourne episode. Let's do a Three Days of the Condor episode because they're spy films. So it's a lot of fun. I do it with four other uh, good friends of mine, and uh, the people seem to be enjoying it. Uh, Edgar, I have a question for you as a Bond expert, because I have like some overall... F I, I rewatched all the Craig Bonds for this, except for Spectre, because I just, you know, <laughs> I have limits. Um, <laughs> and limits on my time and limits on my patience. And um, I have an overall feeling about the Bond movies and how they're made. And I want to know if you agree with it. My feeling mm. is that in general, the Bond movies are made by followers and not leaders. Um, mm. In general, I feel like the Bond movies are a little are always responding to trends in action films or in films more generally or mm. just in the culture. They're mm. not generally uh, making a an original claim and then other mm. people are following them. You see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying. Do you and think that's Do you think that's accurate? I think there's quite a bit of truth and quite a bit of accuracy in what you're saying, Simon. Uh, if we, for example, if we just limit ourselves to the Daniel Craig era, which is now concluded, you know, back in the day in, in 2006 when Casino Royale was released, although everybody loved it, some astute cinephiles said, oh, it's kind of like Bond Begins because Batman Begins had come out the year mm. before, I want to say. Quantum of Solace, the second unit director on that film, guess what that second unit director worked on? The Jason Bourne movies. It looks mm -hmm. like a Bourne movie. Skyfall's The Dark Knight, Spectre. What are people saying about that? Uh, I think it's uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, apparently. I don't really see it, but I've heard that argument. And um, we're, 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 as you said in your intro, we'll dance around spoilers for the first few minutes, but there's a little bit of Avengers Endgame material in No Time to Die. So, yeah, I, there's accuracy in what you're saying. Absolutely. Hey, Simon, do you mean the, the modern films or all the movies in general? Going back to, you know, the 80s and and the sort of harder edge of stuff like the um, the Dalton movie, like uh, uh, what's the one I'm thinking of? License to Kill. Mm. Uh seems like it's very much responding to trends in 80s action to be mm -hmm. more violent and edgy. Mm -hmm. um, and like that movie barely even feels like a Bond movie. And um, I think there's there are some parallels here. Um, uh, 
everything in Bond in his, is, is history repeating. And I feel like there's so much history repeating in No Time to Die, both in terms of the things they try to do to the series um, and also just like recent recent foibles of, of these films uh, mm-hmm. sort of sort of coming up again. And also, of course, it's a major theme in the movie itself. Yeah, I do think the early films, the Sean Connery films, those films didn't have that problem because you would have the same sort of like crew and director, someone like Terrence Young, who directed yeah. what, five double seven uh, movies, three I believe. Of them, three of them. Three, yeah. still. The goodies, the three goodies. I have a question. This movie ties in a lot of plot lines from previous films, and and there's a lot of characters who return or who are mentioned dating all the way back to Casino Royale. Did they have the idea to wrap it up this way since the very beginning when they filmed Casino Royale? I I, I have an opinion. I, I have a guess about that, and I bet Edgar knows the real answer. Uh, but my guess <laughs> I'm is not, I'm not in the writing rooms, guys. I'm not in the writing rooms. The, re- uh, <laughs> the reason why I ask is because Quantum of Solace is the one movie in the Daniel Craig series that I do not like because of the writer's strike. That movie fell victim to the writer's strike. So I, I I assume that they did not know how they were going to end the series because even if there was a writer's strike, if you had a template, you would still know what to do with that movie. I My personal opinion uh, that is not based on fact is that Quantum of Solace was rushed into production because Casino Royale did so well. Uh, and they also rushed it knowing like that they, they didn't they pushed through the writer's strike because they wanted to cash in is my feeling. And mm-hmm. um, it was conceived as a direct sequel with not I really don't think they were thinking of the, the I don't think they were thinking further than that. But I think when Sam mm-hmm. Mendes comes in, that's when you start to get the more grandiose ideas about this is what the bot, you know, since we bothered rebooting the property with Casino Royale, although curiously they kept M played by Judy Dench, who's been around since GoldenEye. Um, so that just adds to the confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say once Sam Mendes comes in, I think that's when they start thinking, okay, we're, we're telling a possibly three arc story, like a three part story. Um, that establishes these things and then however many more bonds we can get daniel craig for is how much we'll devote to the ending and then they got one and that's what this movie is <laughs> that's how it feels to me anyway i have one more question for edgar oh, please so there are 24 official films i believe right well with the, the 25th being uh, no time to die right yeah so this is 25 in one of my favorite Bond movies, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm-hmm. it has one of the most downbeat, perhaps the most downbeat ending until mm-hmm. this movie, mm-hmm. uh, because Tracy dies at the end of that film. So does that, does what happens to Bond in that film still exist in this universe? Like, does Tracy exist in the Daniel Craig universe? Uh, well, my understanding, and it's not just my own, it's the understanding, uh, I'm going to wager a, a crazy guess and say it's the understanding of 99.9% of Bond fans, is that no, that that story never took place. In fact, in the Daniel Craig timeline, his Tracy is Vesper Lind, and until Madeline Swan comes along, obviously. But no, the, the death of a loved one that uh, who's... Uh, whose passing haunts the series, it's Vesper Lynn from Casino Royale. The Tracy story has not taken place, and uh, 
mild spoilers will not take place yeah so the song that we hear at the end of no time to die which which is we have all the time in the world which is the same song in that movie that's just a callback it's like an easter egg i believe it can be described as an easter egg i i don't think that's incorrect uh i i also believe and again when i say i think i have a feeling there's going to be a lot of moments when i'll say i think you know, I, I'm in that fan community, I being me and a lot of other people, I think that one of the attempts in in the filmmaking process of No Time to Die is to make a 2021 or 2020 or 2019 version of On Her, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, hence some of the John Barry musical cues mm. that are suggested throughout. And of course, as you just mentioned, how the movie ends, which is with the very song not even a remix not even a a cover it's the song which brings me to the point i'm trying to make the reason why i enjoy this movie and i love it so much is because for me personally i think that this is the most emotional journey i've ever witnessed in a james bond movie it took me personally through a roller coaster of emotions and Mm -hmm. there are things that i do not like about the movie which we'll talk about after the break but I thought that this is the best last movie for an actor in the Bond series. Like when you think mm. of the last movie that Sean Connery did, or mm. Roger Moore, or Dalton, et cetera, et cetera, this is by far the best. So he started off with Casino Royale, arguably one of the best Bond movies ever. Strong, Definitely. strong start. And he ends on, in my opinion, a high. So mm. I, I really, really do love this movie. Nice, nice. Simon? Um. You know, we try to keep it positive on the pod. <laughs> so I will, I'll say some things that I liked about this movie. Um, everything before the credit sequence is great. Everything. I love that. includes that, the that, cold open. The cold open and the sequence with Madeline is all really good. The whole thing. Is I'm, trying, all, I'm trying to remember where the credits, where the credits come in. They come in after the car chase. Yes. The, yes yeah. That we, we have the opening with young Madeline and then we have the sequence with them and then they when they separate is when the credits roll so it took about um, 30 minutes for the credits to roll to, uh, 22 minutes or so Almost. it's about an empty man length prologue which okay. <laughs> is um, a, a funny connection to think about um everything yeah everything in there is is good uh it makes good use of rami malik uh it makes good use of lea sedu uh it makes good use of the locations it's exciting it's scary uh, it's stylistically absolutely nothing like um, the Sam Mendes movies, I don't think. Um, and it's like a horror film. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's different. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's actually a successful change to the formula. Then the then the we get the title sequence. Which anyway, we can talk about that at some point if we want. Um, and uh, and then from there, it was basically a steady downhill climb for me. Uh, diminishing returns basically from in a lin- in a linear fashion with a couple of little upticks here and there uh, and I, I and basically as a movie i don't think it hangs together well i think it's i'm sorry too fucking long um n- not because the prologue is too long i think they should keep all that but there's so much other stuff that just does not need to be there um mm. po- everything gets underlined a million times there's no subtlety to the emotional journey of the movie and to be honest, everything gets goosed so much that by the end, it was more funny than sad. Um, and that's not great. Do you think that this movie should have been titled No Time for Sex? 
Um, it's I, you know, I'm cracking a joke here. I'm cracking a joke here. But the reason why I cracked that joke is because there's a lot of things that we come to expect in a James Bond movie in terms of Indeed. how he acts and what happens in the movie that does not happen in this movie. And as much as mm-hmm. I love the movie for being such an emotional journey, I do know a lot of Bond fans dislike this movie upon the first viewing. They hated the movie. Mm-hmm. And then all of these Bond fans that I know watched the movie for a second time. And now they love the movie because I think they expected mm-hmm. what, you know, to, to be fair, a Bond movie. And it is a Bond movie, but it's a Bond movie that doesn't have a lot of the quote unquote tropes and things that you would expect in a previous Bond movie. And that's one minor example of how the guy per, is pretty much sexless in this film. My personal opinion is that and this is one reason why after the credit sequence, it's downhill. As I mentioned, I've rewatched all the Craig Bonds except for Spectre. So, you know put a fucking asterisk on everything i've got to say but it really felt to me like the james bond who emerges after the credit sequence is not the same man from the rest of the series he's he but it's not just that he's sexless although that's a major part of it and a major clue that's just me trying to crack a joke and trying to make a point but no you're totally right like he he does not feel he j- it's weird because they they strike him the weirdest thing to me and the most interesting thing about the movie is that he gets hit with one more tragedy, one more betrayal at the start of the movie when he believes that Madeline Swan has betrayed him, which, of course, she has not. You can That's not a spoiler. You can kind of guess. Um, and you would think that that means when he reemerges, he's even more bitter and uh, sort of distanced and detached and cold. But instead, they make him this goofy a uh, soft boy basically <laughs> <laughs> like it's he's like not the same and it's an interesting choice but i don't think it's um i don't really think it it makes a lot of sense well to be fair and minor spoiler so anyone listening might want to tune out right now he's not really 007 at the start of the film someone else is 007 so he's not really the same secret agent in fact he's hiding out in jamaica like living a good life in this amazing home but Edgar, mm-hmm. you're the Bond fanatic. So oh, yeah. did you like the movie upon first viewing? Have you seen it more than once? And what do you think now? Oh, excellent, excellent questions, Ricky. Um, the, look, the first viewing was quite uh, special. It was particular. Uh, I tried my best to stay away from as many spoilers as I could. Uh, one or two rumors had reached me, and those rumors were confirmed in the film. But obviously, um, I know we're, we're trying to avoid the bigger spoilers here. There are certain things that happen in No Time to Die that as, as a Bond fan who's as invested in the franchise as, as I am and some of my friends are. Yeah, walking out of the cinema room that first time, because I have seen it multiple times, it, it was an interesting experience. I knew I had watched a very, very well-stitched together film. Uh, I think... In our conversations, at the, uh, the we made a whole thing about it, a whole soirée. I think one of the things, as I recall, at the bar after is, you know, if you just want to see a movie, movie, you know, the money's on the screen, and you walk out of there going like, man, that was a kick-ass movie. I knew I had seen that, but stuff happens in this movie. Whereas a fan, I'm like, wow, that's that Jesus, that, that was an interesting twist right there. Okay, guys. Um, and back to what you just mentioned, Ricky, whereas you know some Bond fans who saw it a second time and really liked it a lot more. I'm not saying I liked it a lot more because I still appreciated it the first time, but going in a second, a third, 
a fourth time. A fourth a time. A fifth, a, a fifth one is in is in the works. Oh my god! Um, it, it felt more comfortable the second time, uh, as well as as the third time. I know that I mean we're using very strange words, but this well, could, this could be grossly misinterpreted. But <laughs> you you already know what to expect, so it, it exactly. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like there's things I like about this movie that a lot of people don't mention. Like for example, it's I think like the first movie in forever that you get characters like Q. Felix, Miss Moneypenny, and like they're all in the same movie because I can't remember the last time that happened. There's always one, at least one person missing. This mm. time around, they're all there. You even get cameo appearances with picture frames in the background of like Judy Dench and a few of the uh, the previous like cast members. They um th- they really the the we already mentioned the MCU, but it's um there is I kept it's hard not to think about Marvel when. Uh, and how they sort of get together for these these uh, you know, these multi-character events that, of course, originate from comics, um, where like, yes, here we need to get everyone who's still alive needs to show up, and many of them need to die. <laughs> like, there's a lot that I like about this movie, apart from having those characters all appear. And by the way, I think the last time they all appeared in the same movie was License to Kill. But you have the new villain which we'll talk about shortly, which does have a backstory. And it makes sense how he connects to Bond and Madeline and even uh, Blofeld. And he comes back. And then you have the fact that they actually shot the damn movie on film. Thank God. Because I know Skyfall looks beautiful. But you know me. I always get picky when people shoot on digital because it's all done in post-production, right? So, yeah, Roger Deakins is an incredible cinematographer, but I I deduct points because he shot that movie on digital. This <laughs> film, hey, I'm a snob. This film is shot on 35-millimeter film and is shot for IMAX on 65-millimeter as well, if that makes any sense. It was, it, was, it was an IMAX camera. So it's the first time they shot a Bond film on an IMAX camera, and they went back to film. Actually, sorry, it was 65-millimeter Panavision cameras. Yeah. So the, that's pretty the, cool because I do like the look of the film, especially like you mentioned, Simon, the cold opening, mm. which resembled like a Michael Haneke thriller. The um, this is there's a philosophical difference between Ricky and I that we always just let happen where Ricky uh, cares about film versus digital. And I just like whatever looks good. Mm. Um, it's just I, I'm just putting a putting a flag on that so that everyone at home understands. No, 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 no. Like, like, look, it looks good. Skyfall. Like it's like at the end of the day, it's it's the end result that matters. I'm just my my whole point is that like you do have to realize it's harder to film on film. That's all. That's all I'm saying. So like if you're going to give an award or credit to someone, if they shoot it on film, you should give them bonus points. Like, I don't think Roger Deakins should have won <laughs> an Academy Award for a movie that he shot on digital when the man shot, like, 65 movies on film, which he should have won awards for and never did. I mean, I don't... Personally, I don't care about difficulty level when it comes to making a movie. Um, but, you know, again, it's a personal thing. Um, I almost think this movie is more interesting to talk about as a set of decisions that a bunch of producers and writers made than necessarily as a movie. And one of the most interesting ones is you're right, Ricky, it's the handling of um, sex and sexuality. Uh, for instance, there is a 15 minute chunk of the movie in which Anna de Armas uh, turns mm-hmm. up. I have to look up her name to see if I just butchered it actually. Uh, hold on. Well, the character's name is Paloma. Uh, yeah. Anna de Armas. Uh, yeah. She, Anna Darmas shows up and completely dominates this movie for <laughs> about 10 minutes. Um, and mm. it's 
and it's a really it's a strange decision like the scenes are don't get me wrong it's a fun it's one of the best parts of the movie but it does not meaningfully connect to any other part of the movie (laughs) it's very strange what's confusing about that scene is it seems to imply that every member of specter is there in the building which to me seems weird because specter like the idea of the secret society, they are everywhere. So for mm-hmm. all of the members to be in one building, rings <laughs> false. Well, and sense. since we're since we're talking about that already, we may as well talk about uh, the villain of this film and his and his evil plot. Anyway, it's 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 kosher to say that uh, our villain is uh, is is an opponent of Bond, but also an opponent of Spectre, um, and. Uh, light spoilers now because we're like in the early chunks of the movie still. Um, but one of the, one of the only actual decisions that was made where I was like sort of impressed um, just by like, this is how much we're going to up the stakes here is that, like you said, Ricky, he literally just wipes out Spectre in a room, like basically at one time, except for one guy, which, you know, we can talk about later, um, which is such an overpowered a, overpowered villain move to have a guy who wipes out the criminal organization that's been running the show for four movies um, in like one scene with seemingly not a lot of effort. Because we're introduced to his character, the villain wearing the mask, the Japanese no mask. Is he Mm. supposed to be a reincarnation of Dr. No? Mm. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) No. He's not a reincarnation of Doctor No. Uh, look, we can, I can get into the the the, the weeds uh, very very easily, especially since I've seen it a few times. Uh, there, there is one tiny, very quick. If you're not paying attention, line of dialogue, you miss it. That suggests there may have been a time when they were shooting the film that he might have been Doctor No, but uh, but officially speaking, he is not a reincarnation of Doctor No. Well, he's what, wearing a Japanese no mask. I mean, what is the the line you had in mind, uh, Edgar? It is towards the end of the film, so I'll do my best to dance around spoilers. We're obviously spending a bit more time with our villain at this point. We are at his HQ, and he's walking down a uh, dark corridor with some of his uh, minions. They're off to do something, and I believe his right hand man, the guy with the funny eyeball says uh oh doctor and i i I didn't pick it up on it the first time i'm like but i think it was this past week on my fourth view and i'm like wait a minute someone just referred to him as doctor and there were all those rumors for months and months and months so there may have been a time during the shooting process when he was doctor now if uh if you did a poll of the audience afterwards to ask them if they could name the villain played by rami malik i think you'd get no answers interesting Remind me what Dr. No's, like, nefarious plan was. Well, uh, Dr. No, who has a little private island off the coast of Jamaica, is using uh, nuclear radio signals to topple American space shuttle, space crafts. Uh, He's toppling them over. He just wants to. He's a member of Spectre. And he is doing Spectre's bidding, which is to destabilize the socio-political economic uh, world uh, zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask a, a related question because I really want to know. And Edgar, you have you have seen this movie several times now, so I'm hoping you can tell me. Mm-hmm. Without getting into the specifics of what the plan does, what is 
what does uh, Safin, the villain played by Rami Malek, what does he want? What does he want to happen? And why? Well, that's pretty obvious. He wants most of the population to die because he thinks the world's overpopulated and he's deciding who should live and who should die. What is it based on? What's the criteria? Like, what's the thinking? I would even add, uh, I don't mean to, to like besmirch what you just said, Ricky, but you said, oh, well, he clearly wants most people to die because he thinks the world is overpopulated. He does not actually say that. He just says he wants to be the invisible god sneaking under their skin. Oh, that's okay. a good impression, actually. Sir, okay, invisible god sneaking under, you know, we both eradicate people. I just prefer to be tidier. Okay, sure, but why? I don't know. Yeah, because he's bad. Thank you. He, okay, because so he's a bad person. Because he's a bad person. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he says something which implies that he thinks that there are too many people on the planet that do not serve a purpose. I I, I have to see the movie again. I, to get I the think I think line. you may have imagined that part. I'm I, I'm only saying that because yeah, it's, I think I'm deferring to Edgar's judgment because he's seen it four times. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I don't know that this to me was a major weakness of the movie was not only. Remy Malik, he's very effective in the opening because he's just an intense looking guy and he's you know, the physicality and all that. Um, mm. But I, I think that, to be honest, the villains have been a weakness of the Craig Bonds in general. Um, not all of them. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is pretty good. But in general, they just haven't been that memorable. Um, and I actually think Remy Malik might be the worst of them. Ooh. I hate to say. Okay, but is that because of his performance or because his character is underwritten? I, but I mean, either, both. I don't Ooh. think he's... I, I just, I feel like, and maybe you can disagree with me on this, another trademark of the Daniel Craig Bond movies, or actually the Bond movies going back quite a while, is that the villain casting tends to be really spur of the moment, like based on whoever's like basically trending at that time, mm-hmm. um, which is how you, which, which is of course how we got Christoph Waltz off of Inglorious Bastards. And it feels like Rami Malik is another one of those, like they just, they needed someone who was uh, for lack of a better term, hot as a, as a commodity to have in a movie. And he was selected for that. And then, but not really compellingly based on the character. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think he was selected because he's a good actor. He won an Academy Award and he's a household name to some degree. People know who he is. I mean, that's no different than any movie. You're going to try to cast the biggest actor possible so you could sell tickets. But that's not that's not the approach with like Mission Impossible movies, though. They're not getting the biggest actors. They have Tom Cruise. They don't need yeah, to get. I mean, for the support. <laughs> I mean, for the villains and the supporting roles, like the guy who plays the main villain in the last few Mission Impossible movies is a fucking Euro- European rando by by because Hollywood standards. Because they have Tom Cruise, and he doesn't want anyone bigger than him in a movie because of his ego. But anyways, I I I get what you're saying. I I, I think like the reason why the Bond villains never bug me is because the Bond villains have always been over the top campy and have these plans of world domination and the plans like their super plan is always like really a stupid plan. It makes no sense. It's always convoluted. So to me, this is like what I come to expect from a bond movie. But what I look for, what, 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 what really bugged me about the movie, the one thing that really drove me nuts was the scientist. Mm. I can't remember the actor's name. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not a good character. It's like he belongs in a different movie. His performance (laughs) does not align with the rest of the cast. He feels like his character, his performance belongs in say a Sean Connery. Uh, Bond movie. Th- that's uh, David Densick as Oberchev. Mm-hmm. So I hated, hated his performance. Oh and okay. he's in the movie from like 
almost the almost beginning, beginning to, to end. The very end. <laughs> I mean, it's the entire true. heist, which is one of the big set pieces, revolves around his character, and he's terrible. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I just spoiled it because we're supposed to talk about what we would change after the break. What I would change <laughs> is his casting or just. Yeah, I'm not even sure you needed that character, really. I mean, in a movie that's already so long, you, if you can start eliminating things, eliminate that motherfucker. Well, he's there to provide some exposition to explain what's going on, to explain the science behind the the um... well, which which he never does, because Q does that later in the film yeah, when they right. analyze. So um, who cares about I think it was very funny. But as far as further to your point, Simon, about the movie being long enough as it is. And here's another character. I actually as much as I do very much enjoy this movie and it's, you know, another beautiful entry in my favorite franchise. Yeah. Mm. As entertaining as I find Obrichev, no, you don't need him in this movie. He's funny, but you don't need him. I, I will say, I, I just wanted to respond to something uh, Ricky said about the villains and their big plans. I mean, I completely agree that in general, they do have these plans of world domination when that's been a major theme. Sam Mendy has really upped the stakes back to that. I think that was one of his major contributions because the funny part is in the first two movies before the sort of grander specter mythology really starts to creep in, the bad guys are really just regular dirt bags. Like hmm. the Shifra is just a gambler he, who gets his fucking brains blown out three quarters of the way through the movie. Um, and I'm not saying that they should have villains like this. Like they should, they should do a better job of fleshing out their characters, offering a better backstory, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying yeah. that it doesn't drive me nuts at the end of the day because I kind yeah, that's of fair. come to have expected it. That's fair. But I, I want to know Edgar. So you like mm-hmm. the movie. I like the movie. Simon seems to be lukewarm on the film, but of all of the Daniel Craig films, okay, like personally, the only one I do not like is Quantum of Solace. I rewatched mm. all of the movies before watching No Time to Die, and I can't stand that movie because, once again, it fell victim to the writer strike. But what would you say is your favorite, and where would you put this movie in terms of like aligning them in a ranking system? That's a tough question. I'm not very good when it comes to ranking things. For, for, for me, for a few years already, it's been a rather uh, titanic battle between... We're just talking about the Craig films here? or the whole Yeah, thing? just the Craig films, yeah. Uh, it's been a titanic battle between Casino Royale and Skyfall. Uh, I know it's it's been brought to my attention that Skyfall, while overwhelmingly well-received back in 2012, it, it's it's been nicked a little bit in the in, in the intervening years. Uh, not not in my estimation. Not in my estimation. I would say big time by people like Simon. That's <laughs> fair. It's fair. Enough. I mean, I I like I said, I re- I rewatched all the Craigs except for Spectre, and um, the honestly the biggest problem with Quantum of Solace isn't the, isn't even the script. It's the direction. The action direction uh, is mm-hmm. awful. It's mm-hmm. it's it, and the the editing is fucking shit. The one thing that's yeah. been a consistent sort of pleasure of these movies has been that the action, the action is not always that memorable, but it's usually at least nicely uh, filmed and edited yeah. uh, and staged. I agree. I think just about everything in quantum of solos is bad. Like, I think it's a terrible, terrible film given the budget, the crew, the talent, everyone involved in that movie writer strike or no writer strike. That is a bad movie. I'm sorry. It's got a lot of into like the you know it's well acted. It's got some interesting ideas, and I like that it's so short. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's yeah. it's uh it's it's not great. Uh, Skyfall is self serious and bloated and conservative and uh, just not that great a movie. I'm sorry. 
I I think overall, and we're not going to really talk about Skyfall here, but I think overall, yeah. like I do like Skyfall mostly for the look and the action. I I think that there are individual scenes in that movie which stand out and are like superior superior to the rest of the uh, the Daniel Craig films. Overall, I don't think it's as good as say Casino Royale. No. I think Casino Royale is by far the best, and if only because this movie is forty five minutes too long. Casino Royale does not have the burden of having to end the story and like mm. pay off all these, these million plot threads that they decided needed to be paid off. Uh, and also to do the thing that the whole movie is building towards doing. And you can tell 45 minutes in, <laughs> um, but anyway, and uh, yeah, it's also just Martin Campbell directed the fuck out of that movie. It, yeah. it is. He, I mean, between that and Goldeneye, I think he's probably the single director who, who made the greatest contribution to the whole series. But when you think of the centerpiece of a Casino Royale, the actual poker game, right? Like the whole entire sequence in the casino, that slows the movie down to a crawl because no longer do we have these... Well, we do have action scenes, to be fair. That, that are peppered throughout, yeah. It, it really does stop the movie dead in its tracks, and yet it's the best part of the movie. And from there, <laughs> it, it takes off Absolutely. again, right? Yeah, like, it's, it's, just, it's insane because I, I don't know of any Hollywood blockbuster where the big set piece like the money i'm gonna call it the money shot but really it's an entire sequence it's in the middle not at the end it's not the climax yeah. it's the middle of the movie mm. it's um it, it's that's one of the other things that's great about casino royale and it's also sort of the last gasp of that sort of content in a bond movie i feel like because after that the craig movies are all exposition and action there's like really not much in between uh and the um whereas the uh, and occasionally some sex position, maybe um, sex position. I like yeah. Um, but uh, whereas Casino Royale does have a that that tremendously uh, this languid, almost Brian De Palma ish uh, middle sequence where it's really just poker <laughs> and mm. like and, and, the, and, you know, they're delivering things about character and plot through that. Uh, but there's nothing like that in the other movies that, uh, that that they did with Craig. I don't think I want to talk about Lashana Lynch. And I want to I want Edgar to chime in here because I think she's incredible in this film. She plays 007 Mm -hmm. at the start until she gives up the name. So what did you think (laughs) of having her in the Mm -hmm. film, having a female 007, Mm -hmm. having our James Bond, quote unquote, retire? Like, what did you think of that whole subplot, her performance, et cetera, et cetera? Well, as as uh, Nomi and Bond themselves say, it's just a number. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I thought she was a lot of fun. Uh, she's not in the film as much as I thought she'd be. She's also not in the film as much as, to be perfectly honest, the marketing suggested she'd be. Indeed. Um, but she was a lot of fun. I liked the the tit for tat uh, between her and Bond. I thought it was quite funny. I thought it was uh, or organic or sufficiently organic let's say um the only the only non-organic part is is the one you just mentioned where she decides to give back you know the 007 uh uh, code number to to bond i was like "Ah, you know at this point do we really care about this um and i'm a bond fan saying this um but no i I liked her a lot i think her her action scenes are pretty good uh she's a a fun character uh i wasn't um just in case some subsection of the listenership is is curious about my my philosophy towards Bond. I, I wasn't worried about the character heading in. I I'm, I agree that you know sometimes you got to change the sauce a little bit in these Bond movies. Uh, but I was also pleasantly surprised at how fun she ended up being. 
She was amazing. They needed more scenes with her. And the saddest thing about this film is knowing that she will no longer be in a Bond film because this is the end of the Daniel Craig series. Well, they can very well bring her back if they want. Never um, say never. And I'm sure <laughs> that, that because of their approach to continuity and casting, I expect that Ray Fiennes will be back. And like other people who are floating around, uh, the like ether. you mentioned, Judy Dench was in the Bond film with uh, Brosnan, Pier- Pierce yeah. Brosnan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was in all of them, I think, from uh, starting with Golden. I, th- yeah. I believe. Don't quote yeah, me on that. Um, the uh, the uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say before we cut go to break and start getting into spoilers via our questions. Uh, but um, the Lashana Lynch uh, slash 007 character is to me a perfect example of this movie. It, this movie is the epitome of having your cake and eating it too, because there's been so much backlash to bond as a phenomenon, as a character over the intervening years, especially because this movie has taken a while to get uh, made. And then of course released um, is there's been all this discussion about diversifying bond and uh, potentially the next bond, not being a white guy, maybe it's Idris Elba or whatever. Mm. Um, and what, what what they end up doing with that, there will be another Bond, and they'll keep making Bond movies because this movie made a fuckload of money. Uh, the formula works. You got to yeah. say, commercially speaking, that's why they keep doing it. Um, <laughs> so, James, anyway, we'll talk about that later. But um, the Lashana Lynch as uh, 007 thing feels like mm-hmm. it's their nod to diversity, but at the end of the day, it's just a nod. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. it's nice. She's good, and the character is fun, and there's some like kind of okay moments there's some other very cringy awful moments um but it's it it felt like they wanted credit for it you know what i mean Hmm. yeah maybe i don't know i mean i don't know anyhow (laughs) i i do want to just give credit to the director kerry koji fukunaga who is i believe and i could be wrong i think he's the first american director to direct a james bond movie that is accurate really wow yeah, because the guy that directed Never Say Never Again was not. I mean, that's not that movie doesn't count because it's not part of uh, canon. <laughs> right. Yeah. Damn right. It doesn't count. Damn right. <laughs> and also, I uh, this is the one the one and only piece of trivia I got from from Internet Movie Database, because the trivia page in Internet Movie Database, I swear to God, is longer than the screenplay. You guys are nuts. There's way too much trivia for me to read, but they have four count them four acid Martin cars in this movie. Ooh. Yep. Well, that's uh, that product placement is yeah. a major function of any Bond film. Yeah, yeah. There's one you miss if you blink, you miss it. But yeah, there are four. There are four. Yeah. Well, at least it's just not another pile of VW Beetles. Uh-huh. Um. Anyway, uh, so we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, uh, we are gonna run through our questions. And uh, this is you. You've been f- forewarned. If there's anyone left in this pot listening to this podcast who has not already seen this movie. We'll be discussing the spoilery bits in full detail after this. His name is Seven. And what does he want? Revenge. What I really wanted from Seven was to make him unsettling. Thinking of himself as being heroic. I'm a man willing to kill the person you love most. I've already lost everyone I've ever loved. What he wants and what he's willing to do makes him a very frightening character. 
both personally to Bond, but also on a global level. We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little tidier. Safin is a formidable adversary. James Bond has to adapt to that. What is it? You don't know what this is. He's going to kill millions. If we don't do this, there will be nothing left to save. I've made you redundant. No. Not as long as there are people like you in the world. You're back. Uh, we're going to run through some questions. And uh, as I mentioned, this is going to get into spoilers. Uh, so Edgar, mm-hmm. having seen this movie four times, That's enough enough times to make the sides of a square, mm-hmm. um, How what is your favorite scene in No Time to Die? Hmm. Oh, there's so many I could choose. And uh, I, we are talking about a scene, not a whole chunk of movie. That's correct. That's that's good. I appreciate that. I will say my favorite scene in the movie is when... Wow, this is more, a little bit more difficult than I thought it would be. Uh, I would say my favorite scene is probably when um, Bond and, and Paloma... I know you said not a sequence. I'm going with a scene within the Cuban sequence. It's when Bond and Paloma arrive at the, at the party. Uh, so just before the fight starts and they're sort of walking around, the, the lighting is beautiful and it's very strange. And you have this uh, trio of, of uh, waiters who are holding uh, an eyeball for some reason, a mechanical eyeball for some reason. Um, and I just thought it's, it's sufficiently weird. I do like my Bond movies when they get a little bit kooky and it's a very kooky moment. Uh, you know, Paloma looks great. Mm. Bond looks the business. Um, you can hear Christoph Waltz speaking through some speakers. Uh, the details of why are revealed very soon. Uh, it's strange. It looks great. Our characters look amazing, which is exactly what I want in a Bond movie. You know, it's it's. I'm glad you mentioned that scene because I do like that scene. Uh, and it's uh, you mentioned kookiness and the the Craig Bonds. I don't think anyone would say have provided a lot of kookiness. No. They've been very low kookiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the 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 infamous chair sequence in Casino Royale is sort of kooky in a certain type of way, um, but mm. it's still in a very mm. in a very like dark and foreboding way. And that sequence you mentioned is kooky in sort of an old school Bond way that I appreciated. Yeah, I mean, there's I a fucking that. bionic eye on a pillow. Roger Moore could be playing Bond in that scene instead of Daniel Craig, yeah. and it'd be like, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Uh, Ricky, how about you? Oh, man, there are so many great scenes. So I like the scene that you just mentioned, Edgar. I like the car chase. I I mean, I like the whole first person point of view video game like Call of Duty. James Bond going through the tunnels at the end of the film, shooting everyone left and right. But... I think I think my favorite scene is the opening, the cold open, the prologue, and it's all mm-hmm. downhill from there, baby. No, <laughs> but no, like that is by far the best scene. And I'm a huge fan of thrillers and horror films. And I mean, it, it, it felt like a short film. It felt like a home invasion short film. Mm-hmm. I I I mean, I love the introduction of Rami Malek's character, him wearing the mask. I 
I just like I, I like I like the surprise of having the little girl pick up the gun and shoot him, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> yeah. mm, and the scene yeah. in which she falls under the ice. And what's really great about that sequence is I rewatched all the all the Daniel Craig Bond films before watching No Time to Die. And that scene is spoken about and mentioned in Spectre. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean about how they've been planning this movie for years because the characters return from previous movies and the scenes and sequences in this film are mentioned and spoken of in previous films. So they actually talk about, she talks about her character, Madeline talks about that scene when the intruder invaded their home and killed her mom. She talks about it in Spectre. So I thought it was a nice way to tie in Spectre, to tie in Madeline, to tie in his character, Rami Malek's villain character. um, Seven. Safin, mm-hmm. Lucifer, Lucifer, Safin, Lucifer. I think it's just a great introduction to him as the villain. You might be disappointed with his character towards the end of the film, but I thought it was a great way to connect him to her, Bond, and Blofeld. Yeah. If you must and do it again, yeah. great opening, cinematography, the camera work, the suspense, and and I think that the first forty-five minutes of this movie is incredible because I was at the edge of my seat. It's nonstop action and or nonstop suspense. And it builds and builds and builds. And it's just, it, it was such a great way. I mean, I used to say that the opening of Casino Royale was the best opening of any Bond film. No longer is that true. This is the best opening to any Bond movie. Oh, I think I actually nice. agree with that, even though I think Casino Royale is a way better movie. Um. I'd be lying if I went with any scene other than the one uh, Ricky just described. Um, I think it's interesting that, um, I mean, and Edgar, you can, this is another uh, time I can rely on your expertise. I feel like we haven't had many sequences in a Bond movie that take place from this, from the perspective of someone other than James Bond. Uh, Well, I mean, we're talking about 25 movies. It has happened uh, sometimes. I I can quote one or two off the cuff, but it's it's, it's a rare occurrence. It's a very, very rare occurrence. And certainly, like, as the opening set, like, sort of establishing sequence of a movie, it's extremely weird. it's, It's successfully weird, I think, in the context of the series to have a whole opening in which Bond is not present. Uh, yeah, it, that hasn't happened since I'm shooting off the cuff and I'm going to say Man with the Golden Gun. Man with the Golden Gun is the last time. How does that one open again? Uh, that is on uh, Francisco Scaramanga's private island, uh, Scaramanga mm. played by Christopher Lee and a, his little, uh, little person uh, servant uh, brings a gangster. It's basically a test of Scaramanga's um, shooting skills and his... his uh, slippery uh, sneaky skills so it's a one-on-one in his fun house and i'm not even joking mm-hmm. he's made himself a fun house and he he wins obviously because it's the start of the movie and then he turns to a statue of james bond and he shoots the statue and then cut to the title sequence uh, t- cut to the uh, t- yeah the title sequence the song right and i guess uh, and, and uh, i guess secondary to what i was uh what i was saying every i think i think and I, I could be wrong about this, but I do think that every time we have gotten someone else's perspective, it's been the villain. Whereas here we get a perspective of uh, essentially a civilian. I could, I don't want to go Bond freak on, on the listeners, <laughs> nor, nor you two, but there is a very, and I would say honestly, legitimately very well directed sequence 
very early on in Octopussy, which is a Roger Moore Bond, in which the main villain is not there, and nor is Bond. It's actually a, another double O who is being pursued under very interesting, mysterious circumstances, which are not explained until later in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's about a five-minute sequence that has honest, legitimate tension to it. It's very right. interesting. But, but not a civilian. No, no. A, a participant. Anyway, I just thought that was uh, an interesting an interesting way to go with it. And I do like the um, I do like her being a sort of a more active participant in the sequence, as uh, as Ricky mentioned. Uh, all right, good. We've we've gotten one down. Uh, next up, so um, we like to say uh, when we talk about MVP, we like to exclude the director. I'm going to extend mm. that to exclude Daniel Craig, who is in <laughs> you know ninety percent of this movie, and I'm sure who's about whose virtues we can perhaps discuss more broadly but i'm just it would be more it's too boring to have him as an option so uh edgar given those constraints no fukunaga and no craig who's your mvp Hmm. my mvp no i'm I'm gonna maybe semi-intentionally go against what might be the grain i'm going to mention i might butcher his name mark tidsley or tidsley who is the production designer and the reason why good choice it feels, you know, you asked me what my favorite scene is, and I said, oh, it's the it's the lone, really, truly kooky scene in the film. Uh, and what what is something else that No Time to Die brings back? It's a little bit of that fantastical flavor, old school Bond flavor to the sets, from the villain's HQ to Q's laboratory, uh, Madeline's home in, in Norway. Uh, so I think Mark Tiddersley, I might not be saying that correctly, but Mark... Uh, you did a great job, a bang up job. That's a really, really good choice, and honestly, one I was thinking about. Um, Ricky, maybe you, I'm alone in this, but when we got to the, uh, the the last hour of the movie, I'm like really iffy on plot wise. You can probably guess, but I do think there's a lot of great stuff going on in terms of um, the production design, and I love how the underground lair, like under the island, felt so Metal Gear to me. Like I was, I was really, I was thinking, cause they're ramping towards something. They're ramping towards the reveal of this, the inner sanctum of this complex. And I just, I just thought, God, it would be so fucking cool if they found a metal gear in there. The last 45 minutes when he's at the lair, he, him and, um, and the other double, what, I don't know. She's not double seven anymore. I don't know what her number is, but whatever her, when they're basically <laughs> shooting all of the henchmen. I mean, that whole entire sequence plays out like a video game and not in a negative way. Like I don't say, by the way, I think that video games are like a work of art and incredible. And it's funny how nowadays in 2021, a lot of movies are inspired by video games and taking ideas from video games. The dominant art form. It was the opposite where games like Metal Gear Solid and Resident Evil would take from horror movies and action movies. Yeah. Now it's completely reversed. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, I mean, the director, Koji Fukunaga, I mean, he's also the guy who directed that long, one take sequence in true detective. And you could tell that that was sort of uh, the, the, not the, not a way for him to test his talent in, in, in producing such an incredible one take sequence, but it's very similar. You know, it's, it's just that it's 45 minutes longer, which to be fair is a flaw because the movie is already too long. I mean, the, you almost get the sense because we were, I was talking earlier about how they kind of pick people who are 
trending who have demonstrable market value or whatever and i almost wonder if they didn't uh straight up ask him hey if if we get you to do one of these can you give us something like that um and he did my mvp is the director but you won't allow me to choose the director (laughs) i blocked the director motherfucker so choose somebody else because to be honest, I'm ha- I'm struggling here because usually like I don't always choose the director. Sometimes I can choose, for example, like with, with Mission Impossible, I think I chose Tom Cruise, right? Um, I, I don't know because I don't think anyone has enough to do in terms of the cast for them to really run away with an MVP award or nomination. And in terms of like the actual cast and crew... We always talk about this, like how much input does the cinematographer cinematographer have over the director? I think Edgar's uh, pick is is probably the most interesting. Yeah, I'm not going to give it to the writers because there's like seven writers. I'm not going <laughs> to give it to yeah, I'm not going to give it to the editors because the movie is too damn long and there are two Indeed. editors. You know what? I'm going to give it to the female cast. Just the it's whole female, be, all the all the ladies, all this, all the ladies, all the, the ladies. Cast. It's going to be a group effort because I really love the character of um, is it Na- Naomi or Nomi? No, Naomi Harris who Nomi. plays uh, Money Penny. No, 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 Lashana Lash- Lynch's character. It's Nomi. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I really, saying, I really love Nomi. Uh, Madeline, I mean, look, she was okay. Yeah, Leia Seydoux's whole character is basically just look distraught and look really good. Because because the thing is, I don't have a problem <laughs> with Rami Malek's performance, and I know a lot. Some people do. Like it's like I feel like this movie has divided audiences and divided people's opinion on his performance. I think he did a good job for what he was asked to do. I don't think the problem is him, the actor, and his talents. But because people are so divided and have strong opinions about his performance and his character. I'm not going to choose him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So who are you going with motherfucker? Yeah. I'm going to go with to the it. female cast, the female cast. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. All You're just ladies. going with all of them, all the ladies. So Lashana Lynch, uh, Leia Seydoux and, uh, Anna Darmus and Naomi Harris, I guess. Although I don't remember a lot of money penny in this movie. Um, am I wrong? Well, no, she's, she's in she's about like three this. scenes. Yeah. yeah, she's because yeah. I, I maybe it's because I just watched uh, Skyfall earlier and she was in it a lot. But I mean, but I mean, Simon, you even said that Anna Der Armas's performance and her character is like a scene stealing like. Yeah, uh, well, it's it, the, right? it's funny because uh, you were you're talking about how editing in the movie is too long. You can't get rid of the Anna Der Armas sequence because it's one of the best sequences in the movie. But it would be a natural thing to get rid of because it contributes nothing to the overall plot. Uh, what it the reason it's there is because without her, to be honest, the movie doesn't have any uh, sex slash glamour in it. Like I'm it really, very... it's, it's a very, mm-hmm. sorry? No, no, I, I want to let you finish there, Simon, but I do have something um, to add. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe, perhaps you'll have more, uh, you'll have a more charitable take on why it's there. But yeah, it feels like without, without her uh, input, even though they don't actually have sex, um, you know, they stick her in this very revealing outfit and they give her a big gun and they have her kill a lot of people. <laughs> and she's like she she's like the girl boss version of a traditional Bond girl. Yeah, um, for sure. But um, no. the problem is there's so many there's so many characters that I think you mentioned you sort of alluded to this, Ricky, in a different way that no one really gets the the chance to shine except for, uh, I think, a few of the ladies. So I think it makes sense. Well, but that but that, that's the point I'm trying to make, like uh, Paloma and Nomi, when they appear, they shine and they steal the show. It's their mm. movie. It's their show. It's not Daniel Craig's James Bond. Yeah. And again, it's. 
And the way he responds to these women, and I, I'm not going to hammer this too much, but it really doesn't feel like he's the same guy from the from the last four Bond movies, at least not to me. Um, he isn't, to be fair. He isn't. I mean, uh, earlier I, I said there's a bit of Avengers Endgame material here. Um, in case viewers or listeners hadn't noticed, you know, when the title sequence, when the credit sequence ends, it opens with a title card, which is five years later. So you can make the argument that even the in-universe explanation is he's not the same person. I mean, I I can see an argument for that, but I just don't think the movie does justice to that. Yeah. It just it feels like a cop out. Um, but that's just me. Also, I'm just uh, I'm not that wild about the movie. Uh, moving on to wait, did I nominate an MVP? Oh, oh no, I didn't. And I'm going to make this quick because it's a very stupid choice. I'm going to go with Jeffrey Wright. You want to know why? Uh, because Felix's death, even though, and I think I think I'm right about this, Edgar. Felix Leiter is a code name, right? Like, uh, there's been a few yeah. Felix Leiters. It's it's officially on record. It's it's not, but the history. We're, we're leaving the Bond universe. We're in our real world now. The franchise's history is very, very funny with that character, but it's not a code name. No. Okay, I thought I thought it was a code. Anyway, whatever. Jeffrey Wright as Felix is one of the only people in the movie who actually feels like a human being, <laughs> and even though they do, they goose it too much, and his death is really like over dramatized. I really liked Jeffrey Wright in the role. And it was one of the few bits of continuity that I thought worked really, really well. He's also the actor who's played Felix the most. Now three movies. Prior to this, it was two movies. So I was glad to see him come back. And he didn't need to get his legs bitten up by sharks even once. No, no. So good for him. Uh, he's all. And to, I mean, to be honest, and we're gonna t- we're gonna get to that, I guess, at some point, which we've been dancing around at the whole fucking movie. But his death actually made me feel something, unlike the death of James Bond. <laughs> I was very, um, I was very, fr- I mean, in, in the good way, the movie had me hook, line, and sinker. I was very, very angry when they killed uh, Felix Slater. I love Felix. I've always loved Felix. Not all the interpretations of that character are, are great. Some are better than others. Nope. But Jeffrey sure Wright's, no, absolutely. And, but Jeffrey Wright's interpretation is among my favorites, easily among my favorites. And yeah, when they killed him, I didn't see it coming at all. And uh, in the good sense, it really pissed me off. I was like, damn it, they killed Felix. Shit. Uh, so, yeah, I got to. And I, I think, I mean, we, you can talk about the, the screenplay, like puts it put down some some uh, some solid footing for that. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. But I think it's mostly down to Jeffrey Wright and his performance. And uh, he's really good. So I'll give it to him. The other choices y'all made, I think, were completely valid as well. Uh, moving on. Um, oh, this will be fun. You can change one thing. What is it? <laughs> I'm gonna st- once again, Edgar. I'm gonna st- I'm gonna start with you. Oh. Actually, you know what? Uh, listeners who have seen the film, um, they might have a very strong opinion of of one obvious element that they w- that they would change. I'm a bit more of the school of thought of well, clearly the producers and the filmmakers had a vision. Clearly, there was something they wanted to do. I, I'm going to do my best to respect that. Right. And, so, and you're, so you're you're leaving the vision intact, but you have a different idea about execution of the vision, and, and not even um, and not even of what you, you might be thinking. Uh, I, I'm going to let the ending be. Okay. I would have I would have liked a, a superior execution of our our villain. I I think. Um, 
I'm comparing Safin to Silva, who is our villain in Skyfall. And we have two villains who uh, have global, you know, uh, plots with some global implications, but predominantly personal implications. Mm. Skyfall plays the game better insofar as the global implications are sort of chopped off halfway, but that personal stake vis-a-vis Judy Dench's M stays until the very end of the movie. Whereas in No Time to Die, uh, the, the, the plot, the scheme of global proportions is kept until the end, although not explained very well. And the personal stakes, which is uh, avenging his family's death at the hand of Spectre and Blofeld, well, that's done halfway through. I feel they should have got it wrong. Um, so anyways, I, I, I don't have a very clear vision in my head of how they would have played it, but I think there's a version of Safin in an alternate universe that like they really knock it out of the park, whereas here it's like, oh, a good single, a good double. You know? So essentially, you your, your overall complaint is just they should have done a better job with Safin. Yes, yes. Okay. All right, that's fair. You would you would fix Safin in some way. Yeah. It's a pretty big change. Also, I think the best villain in and I could be wrong, but I think the best villain in the Daniel Craig series of movies is La Chief, which is the guy played by Mads Mikkelsen. I agree. He's great. He's awesome. And like I said before, I mean, it, no world, no ambitions except to uh just make money and he's not that good at it. I mean, he's got death and he gets murdered. Like he's really, he's not that uh, formidable. I mean, it's just a really good character and a really fun performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a question for Edgar related to his question about, to mentioning the ending, uh, because it's just mm-hmm. something we have to talk about. Um, of course. The first time you went to see this movie, did you know that they were going to kill off James Bond? Because I did. And Ooh. I don't know if that's why. I felt the entire movie after the opening sequence is pointing squarely in that direction. And it sort of feels like it's, and it, it feels like it was engineered to get to that ending 100% of the way. Did you have that same feeling watching it the first time? If you didn't know that, that that's where they were headed. Officially speaking, you know, had I read or been told Edgar go see no time to die. They killed James Bond. The answer is no. The answer is no. We got the film a week after several other markets, most notably the UK market, where the movie is understandably very popular. And I manage the social media accounts for our podcast, which is a James Bond podcast. So you mm-hmm. interact with a lot of Bond fans. And there were, you know, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. Or, oh my goodness, this is a different this is a different Bond movie. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that could imply. Um Earlier in the episode, I had alluded to, now that we're in spoiler territory, earlier I said there was a rumor that had come to my attention that proved true. That rumor was the child. Mm. Um, And I didn't know it, but I had just a strange feeling in my bones headed into the movie the first time. But I couldn't, I can't claim to say, yes, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But but hold wait hold on we haven't answered the question. As you were watching the movie, did mm. you start to get the sense that that was what was going to happen? I got the sense when he picks up the little doo-doo and the the missile silo doors close again because there's a timer. Oh, so very late in the movie, you started to get yeah. that feeling. 
Okay. I, I had the I had a funny feeling in my bones, but so far it doesn't look like I'm going to do it. And Bond's, you know, this is going to be a classic. We got this, guys. Bond is going to get off this island. Freaking A, James Bond style. Let's do this. And then the doors close. And I know there's a timer. And I know the missiles have been launched. And that's the moment where I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, so, because it's Bond. It's Bond. Bond doesn't die. He just doesn't. Yeah, die. Ricky. How about you, Ricky? Oh, right away. As soon as he wasn't having sex, I'm like, this guy's a goner. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, I'm just joking. He's no, not no, no. So, so I, 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 I do a really good job avoiding, of, of avoiding spoilers. So I did not really watch a trailer. I saw like a few movie stills, um, the poster, clearly. I had no idea he was going to die. But crucially, they didn't have the stones to actually do it until... Marvel had come along and killed a whole raft of characters and sort of refamiliarized people with the concept of killing off their archetypal characters. Well, so Simon, I don't think this is something he's not dead. He was hallucinating because of the poison plant. That's right. Oh, I mean, I, uh -huh. I, I to be honest, you could very easily say there's a sequence earlier in this early in this film where he's at Vesper Lynn's tomb and the tomb fucking explodes <laughs> and he gets knocked he looks like he should get his brains exploded, to be honest, how close he is to that explosion. And you could argue that the rest of the movie is his DMT death dream, a la like Jacob's Ladder or whatever. Good grief. Um, that would make more sense, to be honest, than some but of the rest of the my, movie. My nephew was asking me this question. He's like, what do they do with Bond moving forward? I'm like, well, with every actor, this is what I was asking Edgar at the start of the podcast, with every actor, it's just a reimagination, reinterpretation of this character. Like, like they don't really connect right so that's like wrong. It, that's incorrect we talked about this off air so yeah. what i was trying to explain was that the stories come from like the books and a character that ian fleming created right so there could be crossover but each actor is still part of a different universe i don't think that's accurate i think that that all the all the pre-craig bonds uh, all share the same history of having of being the same guy who fought in World War II and who was married and whose wife died. This is referenced mm. several times across mm. the actors. They have and similarities, it's, it's, but they're in it different is universes. Up, up until no, I don't think that's true. Up until Bond, it's like Spider Man, it's dude. Universe. It's different universes, multiverse. Let's, it's like Avengers. Edgar. I'm right about this. <laughs> Edgar will confirm that I'm correct about this. I can confirm that that you're correct. Uh, it, it doesn't yes. make a lot of sense, you know. Well, how no, it doesn't make no sense. Look great in Doctor No, and and Brosnan looks fantastic in Die Another Day. They're forty years apart. Sorry, I reject um, that theory. How does the dude go out into outer space in uh, Moonraker? You're telling me that's part of the same universe as Goldeneye? On a technicality, yes, it is. Uh, they just didn't really, which was what makes the Daniel Craig. Um, timeline so it, in a manner of speaking interesting is that they didn't really care about continuity uh, back in the day but officially speaking they are the same James Bond one of the more interesting interpretations which doesn't reject that official uh, stand yeah. but well uh, I mean you can you can talk about official and non-official all you want but all that's really happened is that starting with the Craig movies because of the fucking Batman movies uh, literally because of the Batman movies, um, they took a different approach to continuity and they got more serious about it. And they started to think in terms of an arc, uh, at least loosely, 
Um, it's mm. not that complicated. Before that, they, yes, technically, the reason we're even arguing about this at all is that, yes, technically, Edgar and I are correct that it's all the same continuity, but it's absurd to think that Pierce Brosnan fought in World War II in, when he's like, yeah. in, when, you know, when he's like 35 in the early 90s or whatever. Yeah. Can I talk about what I would change? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so there's a lot of things I would change. <laughs> so... <laughs> you can choose one, Ricky. Choose one. <laughs> no, no, no. Really quick. Okay, first of all, I do not like how they killed Blofeld because he's such a big, huge figure, a huge character in previous films, and even in this movie to some extent. And they sort of just accidentally kill him off camera. <laughs> like, what the f- like I was like that. I did not like that. I was really angry like Edgar when they killed Jeffrey Wright's character, Felix, but in a good way. In a in a good yeah. like my you reaction was exactly. When they killed him, I was like, guys, really? But the biggest change that I would make is I would remove the daughter because the daughter really doesn't serve much of a purpose. Like, okay, so he has a daughter, maybe it slightly changes his the way he feels. Maybe, I mean, she doesn't really do much for the movie. Like what? She like barely she has speaks. a daughter. She barely speaks. She's in the fucking car when they have a car chase in like Norway. Like there's no reason for him to have a daughter. She doesn't even scream, really. You know, you know, when I talk about like how this movie is so unlike previous Bond movies and, and in some ways it's it's kind of like a bad thing. I don't ever remember like, having a kid has a has a central character or a, a supporting player or whatever in a Bond movie. Like, I don't want to see no offense, children actors in my James Bond. movies. <laughs> I, I thought she she was terrible. Like she didn't do anything. She I don't know any kid that would remain so quiet when you have like 30 Jeeps and like 55 henchmen shooting at you with machine guns <laughs> and blowing up the forest around you like. She was terrible. Like, that's the part of the movie where I, I almost checked out and wanted to walk out of the theater. I was like, this is so stupid. Um, God, yeah. I mean, all, all that is correct. Um, I, it's not the, it's not the one thing I would change, but I think removing the daughter is a very good choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, if you remove the daughter, that's a domino effect because you have to change the entire nature of Safin's plot, which is all about poisoning bloodlines and eliminating families. Um, which, to be honest, I'm going to say that's probably the thing I would also I, I guess I'm picking the same thing as Edgar, but I'm going to get a little more specific about it. I would completely reconceive Safin and his plot because the whole thing has been cooked up to tie into the theme of family, which is, to my mind, the least successful theme in the movie, um, mm. partially for reasons that Ricky already said. Um, and also, also partially just because I don't care about James Bond's family, man. I don't care. Like he him having a you know the the whole relationship with blofeld and him having a kid and a, and a steady girlfriend just, i don't care it does not make the character more interesting and the characters themselves are not interesting um but that's a separate issue since that's all there and it, and it was always going to be there in this movie because that's how they were designing it the one thing you can change is safe and i think probably edgar that's why you uh gravitate towards that because you can you can change that and not fuck with too much of the rest of the movie. Um, yeah. First, first of all, having another fucking uh, villain with facial disfigurement. I'm not one of those people who's like personally upset about that. I know that some people are, but I do think it's lazy as fuck. Like, really? Mm. You, like, this is the best you can do after 25 movies? No. And it's and it's like and I get that it's a callback, but like it literally it goes all the way back to Dr. No and they've done it so many times. 
and it's just it's lazy and the, there's just nothing particularly um vital about uh the performance or the way the character's written um no offense to Rami Malek who I think is a fine actor but I just thought he was cast more or less arbitrarily as like general scary guy making a silly voice um the uh and the whole thing with the 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 micro uh, the 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 weirdly pandemic ish we should be clear about that yeah. um plot involving these nanobots as that act as a disease it was fussy it required a lot of techno babble that didn't connect at all um it was not visually interesting uh and it mm. was uh clumsy thematically so the yeah i'm basically with you edgar but with some more specific caveats i That's didn't think it worked at all man. This is why the Sean Connery Bond movies are still the best in the series, because all you needed was like a fucking shark. Throw the girl into the Indeed, pool, have yeah. a shark eater, and you have a way better movie. And it's like the girl gets eaten by a shark. Boom. It's amazing. That's, like, that's actually yeah, in a Roger Moore like, movie, Ricky. That's actually in a Roger Moore movie. You know, they've got Lea Seydoux in interviews talking about how oh, Bond is a feminist now. Um, like this Bond is different. And you know what? They're right. He is different. Um, but he's also like kind of boring and uh, the, re I think to, I, I mentioned this earlier, but when we finally do get Bond's death, which I, I, I did mention, I already knew about to be fair. Um, I no longer, I felt like Bond was dead long before that Island blew up. Like they, they killed him. I think at some point between the, oh, the, between the opening and the start of the movie, <laughs> No. Uh, and I was watching some other guy blow up some guy who's carrying a doll named doo-doo hmm. like literally he's carrying shit around hmm. so the ending was doo-doo for you it was uh, it wasn't so much that the <laughs> ending was a problem I just I felt like they uh, in the mess of writers who worked on this movie there's an identity crisis and the movie just has no core it's a set of responses to external stimulus and guesses at what people want to see and it uh, and it just it th for that reason the ending didn't land. I but I think you could fix some of that with a better villain and a better villain plot. I think you're wrong though because they didn't give people what they wanted to see. Like I said, most Bond fans were actually super tried. upset after tried, watching though. this movie because of his character was so different. Unlike like you said, unlike any Bond before. And the ending, like people were actually upset that they killed him off. I I like the fact that they killed him because they actually had the balls to kill James Bond, which they'd never done in the past. And a lot of people in my movie theater cried or, you know, were at least teary eyed. Again, what I didn't like was personally, I just didn't like the little girl. Um, mm. If you just remove her, especially towards the end, like, like no joke, if we didn't need him to have a child for his death to be more impactful, like, he dies. Okay, so you're either gonna you're gonna have your your reaction to him dying is like you're not gonna care like Simon, or you're gonna be like heavily invested because you're a huge Bond fan, and you're probably gonna either be super mad and or you're gonna be emotionally upset and cry. So it works for some people. It's a huge gamble, but I get what you're saying in how the Bond franchise seems to respond to things that are like popular in the zeitgeist or what people are talking about in the media in terms of like how they do casting and storylines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think they were trying to give audiences necessarily what they want. I think they were trying to give audiences what they weren't going to expect. And that's kind of like that. I mean, it's the last movie with Daniel Craig. So if you're going to take that kind of like big chance, you're going to do it on the last movie with that guy. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, it's probably yeah. the time to do it. Yeah, it's probably time to do it. 
Yeah, I think we have a disagreement on philosophy there. I do think they thought they were uh, just following following the rules rather than breaking them. Uh, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Ultimately, it's did it work for you and did it not? It seems like it worked for you and it didn't work for me. And that's just how the cookie well, crumbles sometimes. Be, be, because I think in a movie that runs two hours and 45 minutes long, I would say about two hours of the movie I enjoyed, mostly because you have like kick-ass action sequences like the scene which I think, Simon, you said is your favorite scene that in which we're introduced to the character Paloma. And yeah. I love that entire sequence. And I love how they also killed off all of the quote-unquote members of Spectre with the gas coming from the ceiling. And that also looked like it was lifted from like a Dario or gentle horror mm. film or something. Really well the, shot. It's also, it's funny to me, and maybe Edgar, you can, I'd, I'd like to get your stats on this. It's funny to me that this is the movie they chose to kill off James Bond in. Because it felt to me like it's the it's the Bond movie where life has the least meaning and is the cheapest <laughs> because so many fucking people die in this movie. And I and I'm not just talking about every single Spectre agent dying in one scene. Uh, I'm also talking about Anna de Armas murdering like seven men in mm-hmm. seven seconds. I'm <laughs> yeah, talking about much. Bond sh- shooting, shooting dudes like he's in like he's Gordon Freeman. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking those, about. Uh... Some of those Brosnan films, especially the pre-title sequence of GoldenEye, where him and 006 are just collapsing. Yeah, Sean Bean, yeah. You know, that, that's but, a little bit I mean, do we have official numbers yet on how many people Bond and or his allies directly murder in this movie? Uh, not in this movie, but Brosnan is the most murderous Bond, but we don't. I don't have numbers for this one. I'd like to – I want to. I want the refs in and I want a new calculation because this felt like it stepped things up to me. I'll, I'll talk to my people. um yeah anyway i just i'm just i I just thought it was kind of funny that like this this movie i mean he also just literally just shoots uh the villain in the face like he's just like the like that which i don't has has that happened before uh yeah bond uh takes out the spy who loved me villain pretty much the same way the 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 spy who loved me villain's dead like 15 minutes before the movie is over like there's more to do after the villain. that's right yeah But it also um, – my last nitpick about that whole scenario, and I think, Edgar, you sort of alluded to this, but the whole showdown between him and Rami Malek is – the staging is weird, um, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The staging is strange, and I, it wasn't really clear to me what was going on at, at every point in that sequence. Uh, yeah, there's a lag. I don't mind the staging. I thought the staging was, was pretty good, but the dialogue, it feels like a scene where the dialogue is really trying very hard to be important and thematic. And I'm not sure all of it lands. You have great actors talking to each other with great intensity, but the dialogue isn't that sharp. Maybe, maybe. Oh, sorry. I meant to bring this up way earlier. And I apologize for breaking format a little bit, but since you mentioned the dialogue, I have one more question for y'all that is unrelated to the to the other questions. Just to confirm for my like for my uh, for my validation, is it just me or was there a five hundred percent increase in quips between the other Craig movies and this Daniel Craig movie? I felt like there were so many quips. Mm, felt good. Felt good. I loved it. You, you liked having the quips back? Ricky, am I oh. insane? I feel like even through that whole sequence where he's obviously going to die, he's quipping the whole time. Anyway, we've talked for a long time about this movie, so I've got one last sort of little tidbitty question, and then we can uh, wrap things up. Uh, 
best Daniel Craig Bond theme. Which is it? Can you just refresh our memory and like let us? Uh, I wasn't expecting this question. I know. Well, that's that's <laughs> I'm a I'm a wild card. So Chris Cornell in Casino right. Royale, um, yeah. fucking Alicia Keys and Jack White for Quantum of Solace. Which oh, that I, was a good one. Really, I hated that song. Oh, I love um, it when people say that stuff. Oh God, that one's uh, sorry. Anyway, um, then Adele for Skyfall, uh, right. Sam Smith for Spectre, and Billie Eilish for No Time to Die. Okay, can I just say that I do not really like Sam Smith? So just because I'm not a fan of Sam Smith, I'm gonna put that at the bottom. But I'm I'm also not a fan of the Billie Eilish song, and apparently it's like. It, it did gangbusters in terms of like how much money it made, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Adele just because we got what we expected from Adele. Yeah. Like she, like, she did what she it was reminds paid. me of like the classic, I'm going to use the word classic here songs like by Tina Turner hmm. and um, Carly Simon. Uh, what's it? Carly? Shirley Bassey. Shirley Bassey. Shirley Bassey. Thank Bassey. you. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I prefer my female vocals when it comes to Bond theme songs. I'm going to go with Adele. Um, I think actually I, Edgar, I'd like to get your opinion. I'm going to agree with, with Ricky on that one. In fact, uh, a couple years ago in the early days of my own podcast, we sort of said, Oh, do you want to rank the Bond songs?" So we did an episode of that. And Adele's Skyfall was my number one song. Wow. I think, um, I think Adele that, is Simon? fantastic, and uh, I don't yeah. I don't hate the Adele song. I think the Adele song has the um, the arrangement and the dramatics that you want out of a Bond theme. I think the lyrics are insanely goofy, right? Just you so like, goofy. You like the Casino Royale song the best. Um, I do, I mean, none of uh, to be honest, I don't think any of them are good. Well, <laughs> I, then why I did not, you ask the question? <laughs> Because I because I thought it would be funny, but some are better than others. Like the, uh, the technically speaking, the Adele one probably is the best. I actually do like the Chris Cornell one just because it's got some energy, uh, and it's also like well performed. The Jack White and Alicia Keys one is terrible, and it sounds okay, like shit. I, I, I don't know. I just remember it very faintly. You, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna believe that you guys are right. I just really like like the White Stripes, so I'm gonna go back and listen to it. That, now that's fair. I, I know I complain about we're running we're running long here, but I'm gonna ask two more questions okay so do you have an appointment my 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 favorite bond movie of all time and i think the best movie is from russia with love so i want to know what your favorite movie is and what you think is the best bond movie oh so it's a uh, i mean edgar one. edgar you're the actual expert so just uh, right, it's because right. i always say there's a difference between your favorite and what you consider the best yeah mm. your your personal favorite um yeah i don't know go ahead edgar uh, you know what? I tend to love because I'm I'm so I'm in so deep with this franchise. I think you know best and favorite sort of just coalesce. They're almost symbiotic. Uh, but it's also from Russia with love. I like uh, a lot of qualities about it. Uh, you know, my top five, top ten can change on a daily basis, but from Russia with love is is often at the top. I'm tempt I'm tempted to actually say Casino Royale only because maybe maybe it's recency bias because it's the it's the good bond I've seen the most recently. Mm. Um, in general, from like I'm not a I'm not a fanatic about the series like uh, like Edgar, for instance. I think like when it's good, it's like a B plus type <laughs> of deal. And in general, if you if you ask me, uh, uh, you know, the last five Mission Impossibles versus the last five Bonds, which have I enjoyed more? 
buddy, I'm telling you, on average, I've enjoyed the Mission Impossibles more. Um, but a lot of people would say that. A lot of people would say that. Uh, yeah, I know, and I'm sure you hate those people, Edgar. You, 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 no, you no, long no. for their destruction. No, no, um, I don't have any metal <laughs> uh, laboratory. At least not that I'll admit to. But yeah, I'll, to, just to, to to wrap things up, and so I don't soliloquize forever. Let's go with Casino Royale. Nice. The last thing I'm going to say, and Edgar, you tell me if there's something you would add. These are the only nine movies I say are essential viewing. From Russia with Love, Skyfall, mm. Casino Royale, mm. GoldenEye, mm. Dr. No, mm. Thunderball, mm. Goldfinger, mm-hmm. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm. and License to Kill. License to Kill. Interesting. I would probably add, let's make it a top ten. I'd add For Your Eyes Only. I, I like that everyone agrees that uh, GoldenEye is the only Brosnan Bond that gets in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that not everybody, but I hang in strange circles. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't, I feel like anyway. Sorry, we've we've run lo- long enough. Um, Edgar, plug your podcast. Uh, yes, I am the co-producer and co-host of the James Bond Complex. Uh, you can uh, subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on Spotify. And we drop episodes uh, every Wednesday morning. So just to hump day, we're a hump day podcast. And what what uh, what are you talking about? These like now, I assume you've done a No Time to Die episode. You've processed the movie. So what's what's on the horizon? This I don't know when this is coming up, but uh, or when this episode is, re- is releasing. But we have an interview with the author of a book about the Aston Martin DB5. And in a few weeks from now, uh, whenever we sit down to talk about a James Bond movie for the first time, um, we two, we make a two-parter because we go on for a long time. We have a two-parter sure. for, for your eyes only coming up in early November. All right. Uh, that's it from us. Uh, I don't know what we're talking about next week yet, unless, oh wait, are we doing squid game next week, Ricky? We're going to be happen? talking about squid game next week. And just a clear reminder that you can find the podcast over at sorted You can follow me on Twitter, sorted cinema, all the links to where you can listen to the podcast is over once again at sorted Excellent. Stupid